could all stand for the reading of God's word. Today's text is from uh, Isaiah 11, uh, verse 1 through 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. The young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him. His resting place will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people. This is God's word. You may be seated. Quick prayer. Uh, Father God, Lord, uh, it's so good to hear your word, Lord. I pray um, today that uh, Kyle will teach in a way that will uh, enlighten our hearts or bring joy to our hearts, make our day uh, just in memory of you, Lord, and all you've done for us and, and what we were told was going to happen through the Old Testament and has always been true. We thank you, Lord, for this day, and we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir. <clears throat> well, we're in Isaiah chapter 11, and I just want to, again, encourage everyone to grab um, a, one of those little cards, <clears throat> those little postcards inviting people to our Advent services, this is one of them, but we have a special one next week on the 19th. Um, in case you're wondering, we don't really have any other kind of Christmas events going on. Sometimes we do Christmas Eve things and whatnot, but this year we're just sticking to the Advent Sundays. And, um, and next week's our last one, and we're going to have a candlelight service. Our kids are going to be doing a performance. It's going to be a lot of fun. So I hope that you can take one of those cards and think of someone in your family that may, might be visiting or just someone that you might be seeing this holiday season and bring them along with you. And um, perhaps um, God will give, give light to their eyes and show them the beauty of our Savior Jesus Christ. So be praying uh, who you might bring along with you next week. I, I'd, I'd love to meet your family and friends um, as, as well as our church. You know, so I hope that you can do that. Um, and just be reminded, too, please stick around after service today. We would love, like I said before, to just um, be able to um, send off Mark, Mark and Tammy and, and chat with them and, and meet you if you're a guest um, we hope that you can stay for a little while and we can enjoy your company for 15 or 20 minutes after service. 
But we're in Isaiah chapter 11, and these Sundays of Advent, and again, next Sunday is the last one, we pretty much are going through passages from the book, the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And the reason for that is there are many, many um, promises and prophecies about the coming Messiah in the book of Isaiah. It's got one of the most, uh, it's, the, it's the most rich and, and, and filled with um, promises about Jesus, about the Messiah, um, maybe second only to the book of Psalms. So we're basically going over what, what a, ser a sermon series that I'm calling Isaiah's Messiah. And um, this week we're in Isaiah chapter 11. It's one of the mountaintop passages. There's many in, I in Isaiah. It's hard to pick which ones to preach from. But, but um, this, this is one of the mountaintop passages concerning the, the coming Messiah. And I hope that its promises encourage you this morning. Uh, many of you have heard of the poem, The Giving Tree. Have you heard of it? By Shel Silverstein. <clears throat> it's a green book. It's generally read to children. But it's one of those books that I feel like I don't need to read to my child, that I, I need to read its message and think about its content. It begins with a, a tree and a little boy that love each other. The little boy plays with the tree, gathers its leaves, climbs its trunk, swings from its branches, and they love each other. And, and a repeated line throughout the poem is, and the tree was happy, right? But as the boy grew, he became less and less interested with the tree. But the tree continued to love the boy and continued to provide for the boy in spite of its indifference towards the tree. You might feel like that if you're a parent. <laughs> in spite of this indifference, the tree just keeps on giving to the boy. One day the boy comes back, he's older, and he's not really interested in the tree. He just wants to make friends and buy things. So the tree says, I have apples. Why don't you take some of my apples and sell them, and you can buy things and be happy. So the boy does it, and he goes away for a long time, and then returns unhappy again and says, I, I want a house now. So the tree says, well, cut down my branches, and you can use my branches to build a house and be happy. So the boy does it, and he cuts his branches down, and he goes away for a long time, and then returns again unhappy. And he says, I, I want adventure. I want to travel. I want to see the world. And the tree says, well, you can cut down my trunk and build a boat. And all that's left of the tree is a stump. Nothing is left of this tree. It's the, the boy has taken everything from him. So he does this. The, the, the boy, he cuts the tree down and carves the, the trunk into a boat and goes away for a long time. And the tree was happy. The boy, now an old man at the end of this, this story, returns, and he's very old and very tired. And the tree tells the boy, I wish that I could give you something, but I have nothing left. I am just an old stump. I'm sorry. The boy says, I don't need very much now, just a quiet place to sit and rest. I'm very tired. Well, said the tree, straightening herself up as much as she could. Well, an old stump is good for sitting and resting. And the tree was happy. Some years ago, I, um, I lived down the road. I live in Warren, right next to the Kikimuit Middle School. And we have this detached garage. 
and behind the garage there was this very large tree sort of hanging over the fence into this condominium complex, which is behind our house. Some of you might know what I'm talking about. And this was the kind of tree, I don't know what kind of tree it was, but it was dropping like this, almost like these large balls of something. Like they, were, like they looked like big seeds, but they were enormous. And they would, they would drop and make a mess, and the condo complex kept asking me to cut it down because it was hitting the cars and everything. And finally I said, okay, let's cut this thing down. It's becoming a nuisance. We can't even see it. The garage is blocking it. And what, what remains now behind my garage is an old stump. <laughs> when you see a stump in your yard or my, my yard, you know something dramatic and something intentional has happened. There aren't just cleanly shaved stumps that happen naturally. Someone did that to the tree for a reason, right? <clears throat> as unlikely as it may, might seem, at times, stumps still have life in them. Did you know this? Did you know that from a stump, a tree can grow again? A shoot can come off of that stump. No, you wouldn't imagine it. It doesn't seem to have any life left. It was once this majestic, enormous tree, and now it's just this stump maybe three inches off the ground, yet shoots can come off the side, and a, new, a completely new tree could grow over time. And that's actually what's happening to my stump behind my garage, because I was too cheap to get the thing, what do they call it? Plowed, that's not the word. Ground, yeah, to grind it, right? Grind it down to nothing. Um, if you don't want a tree stump to grow back into a tree, you need to uproot the stump. Otherwise, there might still be life in it. Our text calls Israel, God's people, a stump. Something bad has happened. They used to be a large, majestic tree, and now they're gone. All that remains is a stump. Israel had sinned, and God cut them down. That's the, that is the short version of the Old Testament, okay? Israel, had sin, Israel, God's people, had sinned, and God cut them down. It says this in Isaiah chapter 7. The Lord will bring on you a time unlike any. He will bring the king of Assyria. And that day the Lord will use a razor hired from beyond the Euphrates River, the king of Assyria, to shave your head. So different analogy here, not cut a tree down, but shave your head. Our text in Isaiah 11 is the fulfillment of that prophecy. Israel's head had been shaved, its tree had been cut down. The Bible also talks, interestingly, God calls Assyria the instrument of judgment in God's hand, but God is also upset with Assyria. And we see a contrast, if you read in Isaiah chapter 10, we see a contrast between Israel and Assyria. The verses right before our verse in chapter 11, the very end of chapter 10 reads this. See, the Lord will lop off the bows with great power. The lofty trees will be felled. He will cut down the forest thickets with an axe. Lebanon will fall before the mighty one. See, the context of chapter 10 is the kingdom of Assyria. and chapter 11, it's Israel. So at the end of chapter 10, he says, I'm going to completely annihilate Assyria. And then chapter 11 begins with an old stump. The Lord raises, utterly destroys the Assyrians. 
their forest, quote-unquote. But in Jerusalem, there's a stump. And where there's a stump, there is hope. I hope that you can remember that when you go home. When the, where there is a stump, there is hope. And what we observe in Isaiah chapter 11 is basically an outline of the hope of Israel that God is giving to them. God's deliverance for lost people we can see in three categories, and this is, will basically be our ser sermon this morning. God's deliverance for the lost people of Israel we can see in three categories, through a ruler, a restorer, and a deliverer. So let's get into it. Let's talk about the ruler. A shoot, in verse 1, chapter 11, will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. How many people have ever cut down a tree, been left with a stump, and the thing started growing again? Yep, me too. My father-in-law has this amazing, he's, he's got the perfect illustration of this, because he cut down this enormous tree, and now it's, it's probably almost as tall as me, wouldn't you say? Um, did it just get dark in here? Yeah. Yeah. So, what the heck just happened? I don't even know what happened. Was there lights even on? Oh, yeah, okay. All right, I, you can see me still. <laughs> All right, so my father-in-law has the, a perfect illustration of this in his yard. Our text calls Israel a stump. Israel had sinned, and God had cut them down, as we saw, but a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Isaiah's Messiah, her Savior, our Savior, is a perfect king. And the axe of God's judgment was laid at the base of Israel and cut it down, but a stump remained. There was a stump. Friends, you might see your life as an abandoned stump. The tree of your marriage has fallen down and been thrown into the grinder. Maybe the tree of success is cut down or the tree of health has been hewn in two. Maybe some of this devastation, this is, really, this is where it gets really hard. Because sometimes the devastation of our lives is our own fault. We do really dumb things sometimes. Isn't that true? Come on, both hands. And we suffer for these things. Whoever's to blame, what's left is a field of hopes deferred, what the Bible calls a valley of dry bones. And that might be your life this morning, a valley of dry bones. And you wonder, why am I even here anymore? What's the point of my life? But all of a sudden, out of the stump of your life, you see a shoot, and you see hope, a bud. And according to Scripture, that shoot, that hope, that bud, isn't you. It's Jesus. It's not finding a hidden talent that you might use to create a new tomorrow, right? It's not a rescue for, yours to, for you to accomplish, the shoot comes from an old promise made to an old king, David, king of Israel. God promised David that there would be a coming king that through his seed, through David's seed, that would right everything that is wrong with this world if we would simply come to him in repentant faith. God's people 
all, oftentimes we, just everyone in general, not just God's people, can be devastated by sin. Our life becomes a stump, but Jesus is the shoot. He's the hope. He's the promise of life. You know, a shoot might not seem very impressive, but by the way, neither did Jesus. And that's the point. <laughs> you see, why is Isaiah chapter 11 picturing this great hero as a little, a little bud coming off a dead stump? That's not impressive. Why not a great golden statue or something? Right? A mighty rhinoceros. You know, like, why isn't that the symbol? But no, we're given a stump as a symbol of hope. A shoot might not seem very impressive, but that's the point, because Jesus wasn't either. He was born into a no-name town in a cattle stall to modest working-class folk with no power and no, and no education. And that's the one that, that God calls his incarnate son, the eternal word of God made flesh. He delivered eternity in a baby package to save you. That's not impressive, but that's the point. That's the point. It's not great strength or power on our part that saves us. It's God that saves us, right? What could a little baby do? What can a little shoot do? According to Isaiah, the hope of the world is found in one person, and that person isn't you. And it's not who you might want it to be. The shoe is possessed with what he would need to be savior. It says in verse 2, the spirit of the Lord, God, will rest upon him. This isn't just any little leaf, any little bud. This one is anointed by God. God's spirit himself, God's presence himself is in this child. Not because he's related to a long dead king like David, because God, rather, God is anointing him with his spirit. The spirit it says the spirit of wisdom and understanding, meaning that he is the governing king of creation. The spirit of counsel and might rests upon him, meaning that he is able to defeat the enemies of God, which are sin and death. But also what rests upon this little shoot, this little child, is the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And this shows us that <clears throat> how... We are to have right relationship with God. What, the, what is primary, primarily wrong with my heart and with this world is a spiritual issue. So he's filled with the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. Our shoot, our little bud, is a perfect king and savior. It says in verse 3, He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes, but with righteousness he will judge the needy, with justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Now, this is, this is getting really tough. You know, our postmodern ears are offended by this. A God who judges? Who is anyone to judge me? Right? We, we get a little, especially when we read things like he's going to judge the poor. Hey, back off. Leave the poor alone. They got it hard enough. Right? But think about it like this. Though it sounds awfully harsh, punish, things like punishing sin and slaying the, nicked, the wicked and judging the needy. This, friends, it might, it might sound harsh, but this is salvation language. The reason we're so 
lost in this world is because of injustice. Because men and women litter this, this landscape that we call our globe and human government that aren't exhibiting true justice. And because of that, the powerful and the rich benefit and the poor are hurt. You see, what the poor really want is justice. This is salvation. If, if the poor get justice, they get salvation, right? Consider a corrupt court that doesn't administer justice for the poor. They are like those tax collectors whose, whose scales are unbalanced, so you get ripped off, right? The rich get richer at the expense of the poor. People that are abused by injustice see pure justice as a savior. Isn't that true? What they want is a just king to free them from the injustice of their current one. You see, friends, that's who Jesus is. When Jesus was born, this was the promise that he actually isn't just a baby. He isn't just like a great ruler that's got like good ideas about how to live life. He's going to make right what is wrong with this world. Isn't that great? That's the promise of Isaiah chapter 11. He won't judge by what he sees with his eyes, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decision. All the stuff that we've messed this, all the ways that we've messed our world up, he's going to come and fix. Isn't that great news? Oh, we, so often we think, oh, I can do it. Let's just hire this really rich guy to fix our government. Or, or this really compassionate humanitarian, they'll be able to do it, right? We'll find someone, but it never works. We're always left with chaos and dismay and darkness. That's because as, as good as we can do, and friends, we should try, and we should do our best, but my point is simply this, that there is only one perfect and righteous king, and he's the one we wait for, and that is our Savior Jesus, the Messiah. But he's more than just this. He's also a restorer. And I love this section of scripture. It's one of my favorite to, to consider in all the Bible. It says in verse 6, The wolf will live with the lamb, and a little child will lead them. Isn't that great news? Sounds like a C.S. Lewis book, doesn't it? The infant will play near a cobra's den and put his little hand into it, and they will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain. This is giving us a picture of heaven that we often don't have because when we when we think about like where we go when we die it's it's it seems kind of it's always kind of foggy in my mind like i mean like cloudy there's a lot of white puffy things for some reason and a lot of bright tinkling things right maybe some angels got some forms to them you know i'm i'm always happy in it but like that's kind of what i picture in my mind but when the bible whenever the bible describes heaven it is very earthy. There's cobras and wolves and lions. And you know why? Because the earth was supposed to be heaven. God made the earth for us to live on in perfect fellowship with him and his creation. Earth is heaven. Earth, you see, heaven is simply earth restored. It's the holiness of God returned to it and taking back what was always his. It's paradise restored. It's Eden again. The wolf lies with the lamb. The little child leads them. The infant will play near the cobra's den. And the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. 
So, so friends, in Genesis, if you read the book of Genesis, rebellion against God doesn't just bring a curse on us, on our hearts, like we're just kind of sad sometimes and, you know, who am I? And we have identity crises and we're depressed. It just doesn't, sin doesn't just do that to us. It actually affects the entire created world. So that sin had, had caused a wolf not to play with a lamb, but eat the lamb. You see, on God's holy mountain in Eden, that wasn't the case. Genesis chapter 3 reads, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. So when Adam and Eve fell, a curse comes to the ground, to the earth itself, not just to Adam and Eve, but to all of creation. Sin brings a hostility into creation that didn't exist prior. The Messiah, the shoot, the promise in Isaiah chapter 11 is that when he comes, he'll fix it. Isaiah chapter 65, the wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy. Again, same line. On my holy mountain, says the Lord. Isaiah 65, 25. Romans chapter 8 reads like this. For the creation, the created world, the birds and the bees and the flowers and the trees, for the creation waits for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay, to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. You know what this tells me? That there are dogs in heaven. I'm sorry, but there are dogs in heaven. I know some people are like, no, heaven is just angels and kind of like cloudy stuff. But when I read this, what the Bible is telling me is that the, the creation, one day, that groans? So in other words, the hostility between animals won't exist. What is that? What's the conclusion? That there are animals in heaven, right? The flowers and the trees and everything. There's, there's weeds now that won't be there. And so we're going to get to garden still, right? That's what the, how the Bible is describing eternal life. You see, friends, the Messiah comes to take the groaning of creation and make it a song of rejoicing isn't that great news friends the difference will be though about this some people don't like that the fact that there's all this you know dogs and cats and all this stuff in heaven because aren't we supposed to just love the fact that we're there with jesus and not that that stuff's there yeah but why can't that be there too doesn't mean we got to worship it like we do now right you see friends he made the created world so that we would love him more, so that we would celebrate him and praise him. Revelation chapter 21, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Paradise lost is paradise regains. This is the promise that the Bible gives to us. And the reason that we can have hope in it and trust it is because Jesus is alive. Amen? When the shoot from Jesse's stump returns, you see, Je the, the, the shoot from Jesse's stump is Jesus. He came as a baby, died on a cross. The Bible says he's coming back. He had to die first. For him to do all these things that I'm describing, he had to make redemption. He had to die for sinners. And that's, 
you know, check one, he's done it. And now we're waiting for him to come back and complete the salvation process that he begun, that he began 2,000 years ago. You see, friends, when the shoot from Jesse's stump returns, wolves don't eat lambs anymore, cobras don't bite little children anymore, diseases don't kill our parents or grandparents anymore. The whole creation is safe. Isn't that great? Safety is realized, by the way. How does this happen? Why is everything so safe? The Bible gives us an answer in verse 9. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In other words, all of creation submits to the lordship of Christ and worships him. There, no one rebels against him anymore. Safety in the shoot's kingdom, in the root, in this stump's kingdom, happens because all of creation knows him and no longer resists his will. Right? There's a reconciliation and trust between all of creation and God, outside of which, if there is no reconciliation and trust, there can only be darkness and danger and no light. So when when the will of the created thing, us, me and you, is aligned with God's will, that's what the Bible calls paradise. And the great news for us this morning is that we have the opportunity now, even before heaven, to align our wills with his and know a bit of heaven immediately. You see, because we can begin heaven's process today in our hearts and in our neighbors by giving them cups of cold water and paying their rent and being good to them and showing the love of Christ to them. You see? Not my will, Jesus said, thy will be done. And what does it say in the Lord's Prayer? It says, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jeremiah chapter 20, 31 says this, no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Oh, some of us need our sins forgotten. Isn't that true? I need mine forgotten. I'm in big trouble if they're not forgotten. Friends, they can be forgotten forever in Christ, in the blood of Christ. Come to him. Believe in him. This shoe is the perfect ruler, the restoration of creation, and finally, he's the deliverer. <clears throat> a lot of you are in the process of buying Christmas gifts right now, right? Or maybe you've done it a month ago because you're afraid it's going to get stuck in California, right? Like, you're, so you're in the process of buying Christmas gifts right now. Chances are, if you're like me, you got a lot of stuff online, Amazon or wherever. Some of our some of our stuff we still go to the store and we grab it off the shelves at Walmart or someplace. Do you know that wherever you bought your gift from, whether it be Amazon or Walmart or whatever, chances are it came from one of 200 countries in the world. Do you know this? The United States has trade relations with 200 countries. Um, we are the second largest exporter of goods on the planet. The first is China. <clears throat> we are the first largest importer which means we buy more than anyone else on the earth. <laughs> so second largest exporter, 
first largest importer. So you order a teddy bear, and someone had to go to China or to Mexico or France or South Korea to find that little teddy bear, to put it in a truck, and then on a plane, and then on another truck, and then on a, maybe another plane, and then on a couple more trucks, and then finally it shows up on your doorstep or on the shelf at Walmart, right? This takes, I don't know, this isn't, don't quote me on this, I'm just guessing here, hundreds of people, hundreds of staff to get that little bear from South Korea to your front doorstep. And somehow you pulled it off for nine bucks. <laughs> I don't know how that works. Um, all of this happens constantly around us. All these little delivery trucks and delivery planes and people moving constantly to bring things from point A to point B. Yet the promise in our scripture is that one man, the man Jesus Christ, the Messiah Savior, is going into the ends of the earth, saving people from every nation and bringing them to his home. He is the one UPS truck that does that delivery. <laughs> In that day, verse 10, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. And that day the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people. In other words, what he's saying is this, is that he is going to go to the ends of the earth to save you, to find you, and to bring you home. Isn't that great news? When Jesus was presented to Simeon in the New Testament as just a little boy, Simeon confessed. Now, he said these words, I have seen the Lord's Messiah. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. You know what Simeon is saying? He's saying that this little boy is the savior of all nations. That this one is going to go to the ends of the earth, to any, every little nook and cranny of this globe, and find you and save you. When the Messiah delivers his people to his paradise, he is not one of many delivery companies that you can choose from. He, like, for example, you know, Jesus is UPS, and Islam is FedEx, and Buddha is the post office. Buddha probably would be the post office. <laughs> In other words, Jesus is not one of many options to bring you to heaven. He is the only option. Acts chapter 4, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to man by which we must be saved, delivered. There is one way, there is one stump, one shoot, Christ the Lord, the babe in a manger, the light of the Gentiles. Revelation chapter 7 says this, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits in the throne and to the Lamb. Oh, isn't this wonderful news? That he doesn't just save white people or brown people or yellow people or smart people or rich people. He saves anyone who, humble enough to call on him for salvation. 
the shoot gathers and delivers his people to his city. He does the work. He finds us. He draws us. Isaiah chapter 41, at the, near the end of the book of Isaiah, it says this. Listen to this promise. I love this promise. I took you from the ends of the earth. We think, oh, isn't it great that how one day I just kind of figured out what I need in life to be happy? No. According to scripture, the Bible says that if you know him, it's because he sought you out. He brought the light to you. I, took, I came to the ends of the earth to a people who were not looking for me, didn't care about me, but I, get, I went to them anyway. I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners I called you. I said, you're my servant. I have chosen you, and I have not rejected you. Isn't that great? You don't go to the island of misfit toys. He doesn't reject you because you're missing an eye or because your dad was a jerk or because you messed up your first, second marriage too. He doesn't reject you for those things. He saves you and loves you and cleans you and makes you new. So come to, come and get him. He's, the, he's Christ the Lord. He's the deliverer. He's the savior. I took you from the ends of the earth. I have chosen you and I have not rejected you. So do not fear. You don't have to be afraid of mistakes you made. You don't have to carry around guilt and shame anymore because it's gone. I've separated your sin, it says, from as, as far as the east is from the west. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. Isaiah, if you read Isaiah, he loves a particular theme, what, what theologians have called the second exodus. You remember the exodus where Moses, the children of Israel are in slavery, um, in, in Egypt, the Pharaoh, and God tells Moses, go into Egypt and tell the Pharaoh, let my people go. Long story short, it works. God delivers them. They go through the Red Sea, and the children of Israel are delivered, and they end up in the promised land eventually, right? Israel. So Isaiah loves this theme. He loves to compare what we need with what happened to Israel. From slavery to a promised land. Little Moses parting the Red Sea to deliver Israel home to Palestine is like this little baby, this shoot that parts a greater sea, the sea of sin and death. And he leads us back to a better home, to heaven, to his presence, to his holy mountain. We sang a song at the beginning of our service, What Child Is This? He is Christ the King. He is the perfect ruler. He is the silent, incarnate word of God. He is the shoot of Jesse, the savior of the created world, the deliverer of his people. So let loving hearts enthrone him. The savior is Jesus. The promised Christ is the babe in the manger. And you know what? Jesus said the same thing about himself. Luke chapter 4, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Sound familiar? The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim recovery of sight to the blind, to set the press free. Then he closes the, the scroll, and the eyes of everyone in the temple are fixed on Jesus. And he says these words, today, these words are fulfilled in your hearing. 
Wow. Friends, you can know him. He's come for you. Jesus has come to this corner of the earth to find you. Would you receive him as your Lord and Savior? I want to invite you um, to accept uh, an axe. I want to give you an axe. Spiritual one. (laughs) Um, Assyria was a false savior, and it needed to be cut down. Friends, what do you think you need to matter? What sin do you think just completely separates you from God that there's no forgiveness for you over? Or maybe what sin do you cherish or you're completely unwilling to give it up? I want to give you a, a cross-shaped axe, and I want, to inv- I want to invite you, cut that tree down and accept the Messiah, the shoot from the stump of Jesse, the Savior who is Christ the Lord. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. Amen? I think um, Mr. Silverstein was right. A stump is good for resting. Come and get it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the eternal rest that you promise to those who would come to you in repentant faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. God, I pray if there's anyone here this morning or listening online that doesn't know Christ the Lord as their deliverer from sin, their Savior from corruption, as the one, the the just judge that will make everything in this world right and deliver us to your eternal home, God, God, I pray, Lord, if if there's anyone here that has not believed in Christ as Lord and Savior, that they would this moment, that they would cry out to you, God, save me a sinner. I need this life. I need Christ. He's my Savior. I can't save myself. He forgives my sin. I can't make them right. He can fix this lost, broken world, this dark place that we all know to be our existence. I can't fix it. God, we thank you for Christ, who is our Lord and Savior. And and friend, if you're believing in him for the first time this morning, I just ask that you would come and see me after church or someone that maybe you came with so that we can talk to you more and we can celebrate with you what God is doing in your heart. God, for the rest of us, I pray, Lord, that we would continually remember who Jesus is, the just judge, our deliverer, Savior, and friend, in whose name we pray. Amen.